If you've ever wondered how Paul addressed individuals when he was placing the gospel before them, you might get a sense from reading Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. There Paul writes as if he's speaking directly to one individual, the individual who thinks that they are morally superior to others and thus savable. Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our works to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The best way to set up our message for today is to read to you the text that we'll be considering over the next number of broadcasts from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, but you know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul is an actuality in his mind. He's addressing the unbelieving moralist of his day and age. They existed at that time as well. There were those men of high standing in the Roman world who shook their head and spoke against the immorality of the age in which they lived in. One was a teacher of Nero by the name of Seneca, and Seneca was later, because of his moral positions and standings, he was even called by some of the church fathers a brother in the truth because of his moral positions. But Paul is actually speaking against this moralist and these high moral standings and opinions against the wretchedness of the world that they live in, and revealing that this moralist is, he is in just as much a danger of the wrath of God than anyone else. And actually, that's the whole point in what Paul is laying here. He's laying an argument for the necessity of the gospel that comes through Jesus Christ alone, but in order for him to bring to us this good news and to establish this argument, he has to bring us before the bad news. And the bad news is that we're under the wrath and judgment of God in and of ourselves, in our own supposed righteousness, and our own moral rectitude. We've all fallen. We all demonstrate that we're merely accountable for God, and in that accountability, we're facing God's judgment. And so, Paul turns towards this moralist, and he basically says three things to him in these three verses. And the first thing he says to him is that he has no excuse. He has no excuse. The moralist is without excuse. His judgments reveal, as we've said, that he knows the standard of right and wrong by which he himself will one day be judged. And although he judges others at the same time, he actually, in some measure, does the very same thing. This was two weeks ago that I offered this message to you. I received an email earlier this week from someone who was not able to be here this morning and said, I'm still chewing on the last sermon. They're still thinking about it. Well, I was as well. I was beginning to listen and for the first week at least I was listening to the conversations I was having with my own family members and with my wife and the conversations we were engaging in and I felt uncomfortable because I saw that so often time the nature of our conversation was to note how wrong other people are and how crooked things have gotten and somehow began to feel the sense of self-promotion that comes through much of what we converse about. Posturing ourselves in a place, in a proper place of standing without laying ourselves into the life of the Lord Jesus alone. Uh, 
After that, I began to think more and more about this message in terms of who Paul was addressing. So it's what I've been doing over this last week. And as a result, I've been paying attention to what's on the news, paying attention to the conversations that I've had with my neighbors just recently, paying attention to the social media broadcasts that people make through their different social media platforms. And what I realize is that this is not just my problem. This is the world's problem. This is the primary way in which individuals engage one another in conversation. Constantly taking moral measurements of others and their failings and their faults. And you'll see it. You'll see one political party is castigating the other political party for the, let's be honest, the very same things they're doing. Oftentimes the one who speaks the loudest about the crimes of what somebody else is committing, you can look in their own lives and see, wait a second, it's a true projection because... They're more guilty of it than the one they're pointing the finger at. They're doing it more plainly, more clearly, and they can't even see it. But it's right before them as plain as the nose on their face. And you Practice this. Start listening to the conversations that take place. Start listening to where they can't to, where they go to. And they might not start out this way, but start to listen how they begin to unfold. And somewhere along the line, the person is gaining merit for their observations. And he's gaining merit at the expense of somebody else as he expresses his views. But then measure their life and you'll discover that, well, I don't think they would measure up as much as they think they would. I think they would find themselves faulty as they try to vindicate themselves. Faulty that, uh, well, they do the same things to some extent. People are blind to their own sins. They think, uh, well, I haven't committed murder. And I I haven't (laughs) done adulterer like others. But they ignore the fact that murder and adultery can find expressions that they they might not understand or know. The Lord Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 5, right? He said that murder can take place with a word. If you say, thou fool, you're in danger of hellfire. And that adultery can take place with a look. If you look upon a person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. All of a sudden, as you begin to understand the truth of what God is saying, you have to drop the stones from your hand by which you're going to stone the offenders around you because you recognize it's in yourself. Paul himself thought of himself as a quite righteous man. He had followed all the laws as meticulously as he could, and he thought he was innocent of any grave sins. And then he tells us in Romans 7 that he began to really consider what it meant to covet. And as he began to consider what it meant to covet, he saw that there was all manner of coveting in his life. Not only was he not clear of sin, but as he began to pull on that thread of that one sin, of coveting, his whole structure and ideology of himself as this great moral man began to unravel and fall apart before his eyes. And it began to conceive in him all manner, he says, of sin. He saw it was rife throughout his life, filling his life. Such the way of all people. If they came before God and they understood what God commanded and what God desired of us, they would see that the very things that they're judging others in, they're implicated themselves. Having said that, people still go on with this judgment. You'll have a conversation with somebody and they'll complain about how everything's gone wrong in our world. And if you press them to give personal experiences of it, they'll be able to tell you how they've been wronged by others. You know, nobody, you know, there used to be in our day, in my day and age, a person's bond was his word, a handshake was all you needed, whatever it is. And they'll talk about it and how everything's so treacherous nowadays and how people have betrayed them and what they've done to them. You listen to them. They'll tell you those types of accounts and let them score it up. Let them keep talking. Let them keep going through it. And then when it's done, you you can say something like this. Well, listen, I think that's all true, but 
I also understand from God's word that it's true that one day God says that all of us are going to stand before his judgment and we're all going to be judged and we're all going to be given account and God is going to exact his punishment on every sin and every falsehood and every lie and every deceit and every act of, uh, you know, treachery that has risen from the life of these individuals you're speaking of. All of them, they're going to be brought to account. God's not going to let them off the hook. But let me ask you something. You're also going to stand before him. You're also going to have to answer for your own sins. How is it going to turn out for you? How is it going to, how is it going to measure up for you? Oh, they'll say, oh I, don't, I don't want to think about that. Oh, I don't believe in those things. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they'll be all full of grace and all full of mercy. Oh, we'll just wave something. It'll all work out okay. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches us. You have no excuse. God's eyes are upon you. You know what the standard is. To some extent, you know what the standard is. And God is going to hold you to account. We'll look at this further on in the book of Romans. But we'll see that Paul is going to expand upon this thought by reminding us that each man is going to be judged according to his deeds. Every part of it. Every point. A judgment is going to take place. Here's the next thing. He says it's in verse 2. He says there's no disguise. Not only is there no excuse, but he says there is no disguise. He says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who do such things. The moralist will be judged by God's truth. God knows all of that individual's sins and all of those sins and all of his indiscrepancies are going to be set out in the open one day. There will be no disguises. There will be just as there are no excuses. Individuals cover themselves and clothe themselves in all forms of decorum and position. And yet, every individual has something they're glad nobody knows that's hidden and kept to themselves. Every individual has a thought in the day they wouldn't want to have escape, be broadcast for anyone to know. All of it is going to be known. All of it is going to be revealed. Nothing that's going to be disguised. The Bible speaks of a, a day that's coming in the future of a great apostasy that will take place in which people will wander away from the faith. I've often wondered what will be the trigger for that great apostasy and not long ago I began to think of what a possibility could be. As a result, I wrote the men who are working with me in our ministry around the world a very strong reminder of the way they ought to conduct themselves and behave themselves. I could see how it would go like this. Have you ever noticed, by the way, when you have your phone nowadays, that if you're having a conversation with your wife and you say something like, you know, I don't really like the ladder I have. I wish I had a different ladder because this ladder is just too short and it's kind of rickety. And then you go on your phone and you all of a sudden start noticing your phone is posting advertisements for ladders. You're being listened to. You know, there's information that's being gathered. What if all that information, pastors, of where you went to with your phone, what your conversations were, and where you went with your searches and your search engine, and the things that you let your eyes go to on your phone or on your computer, what if one day it was broadcast to those under your ministry, and they saw it? If it took place, I think it would cause almost a crisis of faith in individuals. It might generate a great apostasy because you posed and you presented yourself as this paragon of virtue and as a fount of great truth and as a man who's faithfully preaching God's word and yet you weren't living faithfully in your private places. 
So I wrote all the men of my ministry, guard yourself against what you say, even in the closet in your home. Guard yourself by what you allow ever to come across the screen of your computer or your telephone. The enemy could gather all that together and use it to undermine the faith of people and drive them away from Christ. I don't know if it's going to work that way or not. I don't know if it's going to happen that way in the end. I can tell you this, that God is going to make known all the secrets that we do and all the things that take place. God is keeping record and you can deceive people and you deceive yourself more than anyone else. But you cannot deceive God. He is a God of all truth. He will judge us according to all truth. The laws that you've broken, He knows. He knows the when and the where and the how and the extent to which to transgressed His law. He knows the proper judgment for each thing you've done. Each sin will be accounted for. The price will be exacted in punishment because God is just and God will render justice. And God's judgment is according to truth. Think about the number of passages of scripture that reveal this. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 2 has a number of individuals that are coming and they're wanting to give themselves to the Lord Jesus because they're enamored by the works that he does. Their hearts haven't changed, but they want to be with the man who's doing such impressive things. John 2 verses 23 and 24 speak to us of the judgments that Christ makes towards men. It says in verse 23 and 24 of John 2, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.